Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 17th of February and joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. That's a Smith & Wesson and you've had your six. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. East, west, just point to the compass, each as stupid as the other. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. A successful criminal brain is always superior, it has to be. Welcome back to the podcast, no special guests this week uh, but I think our special guest last week went down really well with forum members and listeners, um, lots of questions there which we will follow up eventually um, with Chris in the future and stay tuned because hopefully we'll have um, at least one special guest every month on the podcast going forward and who knows who the next one will be yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out Steve's, Steve's a producer so he'll he'll figure it out and he'll let us know as we move forward competitions currently we have the boys from Brazil and Brewery uh, is open to active members closes the 22nd of February and coming soon at least when this podcast goes live there will be chances to win Blazing Saddles and Bullet on Blu-ray and Mark previous competition winners were nine of them um, and they all won a copy of Rocky on Blu-ray the remastered version and from left to right we have SAFCR Top Dogs Sunderland supporter no doubt Alan D Alandles Bertha Raiden Mark, Max15, Paula Reddings or Readings, Russ Beer, Goatface21, <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I do like I like that name, I don't know why. And Lim1957 UK. All one. Nine winners. Amazing. Good stuff. Right, so let's move on. Uh, so not a week goes by that we don't talk about Ultra HD Blu-ray, and of course uh, we're waiting with bated breath for the first big TVs of the year and of course the players to arrive. The first two players will be the Samsung and the Panasonic. In America though, there have been some problems already and Mark, you've been keeping an eye on the forums and other websites across the interwebs uh, looking at feedback from people who have gone out and splashed some money on on the Samsung player and some of them have been lucky enough to pick up some UHD Blu-rays as well to play on them not all a bed of roses not all a bed of roses and and reading certainly some of the feedback has I won't be volunteering for the review sample (laughs) let's put it that way it's the Samsung KD uh, K8500 I think it's the same name in this country, isn't it? Um, yeah, there have been an awful lot of issues, even for experienced users. Um, and I, I went through and I've I noted, I ran out of A4, I had one side of A4 and I thought, I'll never fill that, but <laughs> I've easily filled it. Um, so starting from the top, um, we've had no HDR available on any of the apps just yet. That's waiting for a software update. Uh, YouTube app is cutting in and out. Voodoo app errors. Um, there's a few not powered up at all, so they've had to go back because dead on arrival. Um, there's Amazon Netflix lip sync issues, and that's just dealing with the streaming content. Now, moving on, when they've tried to um, play some discs, there have been a lot of HDCP 2.2 issues with uh, AVRs and projectors. Seems to be okay if you're going straight into a TV, but there's um, obviously some problems on the implementation on, on one side or the other, or both, when it comes to HDCP 2.2. And um, the, there's complete confusion about settings, uh, which color space to use, um, whether people should be using deep color or not. Um, uh, j- just a whole catalog of errors. Uh, some Blu-rays are throwing up uh, not playing errors, probably down to BD Live or Java. Um, forced Chroma up sampling with certain setups. People are uh, reporting washed out colors. Um, some banding on the Martian, which is obviously one of the first discs uh, that's available uh, in, in the opening five minutes. All lots of people reporting heavy banding on the uh, 4K version. Um, yeah, it's just just a general uh, lot of confusion, and this is amongst you know experienced users. And it all got summed up nicely by uh, one forum poster on AVS forums, actually, as it happened. And he put in reply to someone's question, "Should I pick this player up?" He said, look at, this, look at it this way. Many of the people on this thread forum are highly knowledgeable about AV setup and customization. Look at how we're all asking, should deep color be on? And other questions. We are all literally stumbling around in the dark, not sure how to implement UHD, HDR. That's kind of frightening. Dust really needs to settle on this new format. Not to mention handshake issues with 2.0a, 2.2 specs. Give it six months and everything will be solid. But for now, if you're not a pioneering, highly technical user, I would say absolutely do not buy this player. And looking at the feedback in general, that's probably the fair, fair assessment of, of the state of play. Fun, funny this, Steve, because this was the one question that we raised with the BDA when we were at CES and we were given assurances that... Oh, yeah, bulletproof. It, it would be bulletproof, <laughs> just put the disc in and things would play nice and nice and easy. I did actually scan through some of the uh, threads, uh, some of the same ones you were looking at, Mark, just out of curiosity this morning. And... Um, yeah, 
there's a, a couple of people who were reporting that they were basically getting this, that this wouldn't play, basically said, you know, not compatible with the TV. So I guess that's one of the things they said might happen. But getting washed out images is not supposed to happen. How much of it is down to the format and how much of it is down to the player, I'm not entirely sure. You, you could say that things like HDMI handshaking and HDCP 2.0 may not just be down to the player. That could well be the AVR is not behaving properly or the display is not behaving properly. Yeah. HDMI and HDCP alike, when you're trying to get things to communicate sometimes, it can be a nightmare. But... The question that you mentioned it, Mark, and I've seen various people commenting on it, if there's settings in the player that are buggering things up, that's unfortunate. And the one that seems to be a big issue is deep color. Yeah. It definitely need to turn that off because it was introducing banding. Into, I mean, you, a guy took pictures of different settings and showed them for that scene of the Martian where he's standing on the surface and you can see the sky in the background and there is very noticeable banding in some shots and it's not so noticeable in others. It shouldn't be there at all though, should it? I mean, you're thinking about it, thinking, oh, this is 10 beer. You know, the Blu-ray looks great in comparison. One of the possibilities is whether, because the Mar the Martian was shot on on natively on 4K cameras, but the effects were finished at 2K, and I'm pretty sure they won't have been redoing the effects again for the Blu-ray release. So for the 4K Blu-ray release, so maybe it's down to that. Maybe there's some issues there. Not sure, but um, it's not the best launch I've ever seen. First of all, players just seem to sort of appear out of nowhere. I mean, without a set date, is they landed early, didn't they? Yeah, they landed early. Retailers just started flogging them. The discs aren't actually supposed to come out until the first of March. Um, and Amazon appeared to be at least sticking to that street date. But obviously, Best Buy and Fry's and other people in the States have been selling the discs as well, which kind of makes sense because if you've got to play the watch on it, it's a bit annoying. But it's, it's, been a bit, you know, it's a bit of a shambles. For a start, it, it sounds like people have got things switched on that shouldn't be switched on. For a yeah. start, I mean, why is there deep colour in there? I guess it has to be backwards compatible, but I'm not aware of any software that has no. uh, deep no. colour encoding, so don't need that switched on at all. And you're going to get teething issues with any new product that comes out in any any new format and it all depends what these guys are trying to put the player into as well display wise so you know it has to be hdcp 2.2 are some of them using hd furies to try and get around that that could be adding more complexity more issues to the to the system it shouldn't but it could be there's um, also settings on on display side aren't they you sometimes yeah. have to enable uhd cut well you have to oh, enable uhd color and hdp 2.2 on certain tvs i've seen so yeah. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's I not guess. ideal, is it, when you've got settings on the TVs you need to be aware of? You've got settings on the players that you need to be aware of, and then before we even you know you even move on to things like how the hell do you calibrate for this? But you know, it, I was under the impression. I'm sure you would agree with this, Phil, that the way they were talking, they've been they've been t planning this for years. They've been testing it thoroughly. It's bulletproof. The player will talk to the to communicate to the TV or map it to the television's capabilities. That does not appear to be happening. <laughs> supposed to happen for hdr10 but um you know that wasn't announced till ces steve so it yeah. could be that that mm. that side of it which was technicolor side which they've now given up um, put put out to to the fact that uh, hdr10 will be able to map to the tv's capabilities but that was only announced at ces so that won't be in tvs that no. are existing on the market as they stand and certainly in the players as well and i mean this is only an hdr10 machine as well this yeah and this is um this is fox content and they're only using hdr10 and they're but interesting the only studio that i'm aware of that isn't using dolby vision so maybe there's um there's, that's the reason why the other studios have chosen well using the, the dolby vision layer uh, there will be yes. hdr10 yeah yeah, yeah. i um, guess the question is isn't it with with this that as you say it's a very confused release release point it's going to kind of come down to how quickly things can be corrected and if they can be corrected in the field and I guess also at the moment we've got a sample a, a sample group of one manufacturer. If it transpires that when the next player, whoever it may be, comes out and it's free of issues, then it's just Samsung in, in a desperate bid to be first have released a piece of equipment that isn't ready. If it then turns out that another product has exactly the same issues, then we have to ask more searching questions about the format. I mean, in fairness to, to Samsung, in all fairness to them, Blu-ray was out of the gates too early uh, because of HD DVD and it wasn't a finished complete article yet. But um, I mean, this is supposed to be a complete article. That's a very different situation, I think, to the early days of Blu-ray. The whole point of Ultra HD Blu-ray was they've had a long time to get this right. They've been doing it for at least the last well, five years. Well, and another thing was that the PDA, you know, they were basically saying, look, there will be no issues with this. Mm -hmm. You know, people should not be getting washed out images. People should be getting the performance that the TV is capable of. You know, and that seems to be falling down. It could be falling down because none of, none of that is in place at the moment. Uh, we don't know because we haven't seen the Samsung player. We haven't had a chance to test it and look at it and look what the set each settings d does and so on. We're having to take the, the information second, sometimes third hand. 
from internet posts and all the rest of it. So there could be some confusion, there could be some yeah. misinformation in there. People could be misreading you know, what's what's written on forums as well. So until we get one in our hands ourselves, we're not really, I, I don't think it's fair on Samsung to condemn, <laughs> condemn them in any way, shape or form. You know, it, there could be a multitude of, of reasons why things are as they are being reported at the moment. So until we get one in, until we get a larger sample group like you say Ed it's kind of impossible to say exactly what is going wrong it could be a multitude of things and the fact is that um, unless you have the latest and greatest 4k UHD TV or display I guess people are going to run into issues with HDCP and all the rest because we haven't had any real devices to kind of test it out so far other than a couple of streaming boxes no I think it's, 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 it's more indicative of, of the state of the format than the hardware per se we can't be sure the hardware is at fault, or the software rather, as well is at fault. But it's just the state of the format, and then the early, you know, in the early stages, there, there are going to be problems. Exactly, there are, there always are teething problems with any new format that comes along. I mean, just look back at stuff that we've seen in the past, not necessarily video formats, but other formats that have come out that have had the odd bugs and so on. And I guess in the internet age, uh, one of the one of the real benefits here, because they are wireless and and, and so on, is that you know firmware updates are pretty quick. Yeah. to come along once once they're available they're pretty quick to update the players and and i'm sure that samsung are working on this i'm sure they're, they're reading the, the same comments that we're reading at the minute yeah. and it's been a small sample um of players that were they were sold out pretty quickly as soon as they became available they were almost sold out so um it could be interesting just to see were they supposed to come to market when they did were they sold ahead of time uh, had, yeah. did, did they all have the same firmware added at the same time um, there could be quite a few in- issues there so be interesting to see how this one pans out and of course we're due to see this player now, is it end of March and you're going to go and see Samsung begin the March aren't you yes. Steve so yes. we should be able to get up to date and get up to speed with what's happening and get some uh, some comment from Samsung around about then as well so let's move on a little bit because when the player becomes available in the UK it's also going to have a, a copy of the I'm I'm loath to say free copy because we don't know what the price of the machine is yet and some of the uh, prices that we've seen popping up for France for example 499 euros yeah, seems a bit toppy seems a bit expensive I mean I had all my eggs in one basket and, and and I was predicting that this was going to be about 300 to 350 quid this player yeah, yeah that was my guess and, and that was based partly upon in, in, in indications from you know sources that between three and four hundred euros was the price range and 350 quid sounded about right four four hundred ninety nine and say 450 quid that's that's putting it not far away I think I mean I don't know exact pricing on the Panasonic either but it's getting a lot closer to that that model, and and you know you'd you'd want to see a cheaper model and a more expensive model available for you know for the first two players. I don't know. Hang on a second. If we're dealing with small production batches for the first ones, and we've got a group of early adopters who, it's wrong to say they'll pay anything, but they will pay to get this this long weighted format. If you you might as well grab a bit of margin while you can. I know that's awfully cynical and a thoroughly unpleasant thing to say, but. If we look at the, the the state of every other part of the AV industry, which is sort of hacked to death on this, you might have one brief and glorious moment where you actually make some damn money. <laughs> and then I'm sure that prices will be completely and utterly cut to ribbons by Christmas. Well, that is that. But you also have members of the public looking at this, trying to figure out what this new format is. And then when they see the prices, Ed... It's going to be all oh, that's not for me, and they never look at it again. So um, you know, I, 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 I'm afraid I haven't changed my view that this is a 21st century laser disc. It is only going to be a specialist interest format. There will be large swathes of the public looking at it and going, "Do you know what? On demand is absolutely fine for my requirements. I'm not a, I'm not a power user of these things. I'm good. Yeah, you d- not get yourself out with this oh, format. Don't, don't get me wrong. I wasn't talking about the general public, as in you know, the great unwashed. I wasn't talking about that. I'm talking about those that are on the sidelines that are maybe not mm. quite the hardcore enthusiast, but would maybe pick it up if it was reasonably priced. They're going to look at it, they're going to think, oh, well, at my range, because I need a new TV as well, and I need the HDR, and they're going to look at it, and, and especially if they're high prices, and I think a lot of people are going to say, no thanks. No, 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 quite possibly. Um, uh, as I say, we'll see how it goes. I don't necessarily condemn manufacturers if they're going to be a bit optimistic to kick off with but we'll see how quickly things correct themselves in the face of competition and of course Sorry, i've got hiccups <laughs> <laughs> well you should lay off the booze in the afternoon you know 
I, nah, I'm not going to defend myself. <laughs> I'm in a good place. Uh, anyway, that's UHD Blu-ray. Not getting off to the best of starts, but then I, I guess we kind of knew that this was gonna gonna be the case. Um, certainly. There's going to be some teething problems when things get up and running and uh, be interesting how it plays out in the next few weeks. And like I say, we've got quite a few things happening. Um, Steve's off with TP Vision and Philips this week to see their lineup. Yes, that's correct. I don't know what the lineup's going to be yet, but uh, they'll be showing their full TV lineup. Uh, and they also said that they were going to explain the reasoning behind not including 3D on um, the 8601. So that'll be interesting. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see a new flagship TV announced that will actually come out this year. Yeah, good stuff. Um, hopefully, you know, now that Android seems to be settled, we'll get to see the TVs nice and early this year because uh, I've mm. been really impressed. And, and the old flagship TV, which we're sadly not going to get to see now, but I'm sure it'll morph into uh, the 2016 set. Really impressed with the backlight on that. You know, we were, we were showing some real torture material mm. almost a year ago now. In fact, it was over a year ago now that yeah, we, we yeah. saw the first, uh, had a first look at that TV and, and it was really promising back then. So... Hopefully we'll get to see that this year. So that's uh, we'll get a full roundup during the week with Steve's articles in a video, as well as uh, a catch up next week on the podcast as well. Um, find out exactly what Steve was shown. Which fantastic country are you heading to? Uh, tropical beaches and that kind of thing. Yeah, Brussels. All right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Good beer. Yeah. Chips. Chips. Yeah. <laughs> Chip capital of Europe. Huh? Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. The Belgians consume more chips per head than any other country in Europe. And they do make some good chips. And good mayonnaise. Yeah, I do, well, I don't get the chips and mayonnaise business. I'm sorry, that's that's just wrong. But they do, they, they do a good chip. So it would be moule and frit for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing wrong with that. And, of course, um, end of the month, we've got the Panasonic convention. So some interesting things to look at there as well at the end of the month. So, And like we say, Samsung probably beginning of March as well. So we should be getting up to speed pretty quickly with what is coming up this year. I mean, the only one manufacturer that has announced, and we discussed it last week on the podcast, was Sony. Um, so going to be interesting to see the rest of the lineups, especially Panasonic, which is always a strong lineup. Samsung, always, always a strong lineup. But I guess the main thing I, I think the forum members want to know, and it's sometimes we get told that, at these conventions sometimes we don't is the price points that these TVs are going to come in I mean Samsung came in extremely expensive last year with their flagship LED yeah, TVs it did. Um, it did drop quite precipitously later in the year it did yeah but they still came in with some hefty price tags there so going to be interesting to see that and of course no word yet from LG so um, no. we'll uh, we'll keep our ear to the ground and hopefully we will hear something from LG soon because <laughs> They're supposed to launch, I think, the first TVs in March, wasn't it? So um, mm -hmm. end of March, beginning of April. So hopefully we'll find out a bit more about that. So moving things on and moving to an area that I've always been interested in, but at the same time, never done anything about because it's always come across to me as being a bit of a faff and sitting around for hours. And that's um, putting your own NAS drive together, Mark, and putting all your Blu-ray discs and, and so on onto uh, a number of drives and using some kind of software to sort them all out and play them back through some kind of media player or, or a media PC and so on. Always appeals, sounds really interesting, but then <laughs> at the same time, you think, oh, I really can't be bothered. It seems like there's a lot of things I need to learn yeah, here. I had that too going into this review, <laughs> funnily enough. Bit of a new world for me, slightly, but I've, I've got I've had network storage, but only on a simple, very simple uh, thing attached to my router before. Um, this was uh, an, uh, specifically an Asus Store AS6102T. Uh, and I must snappy. Say, very <laughs> snappy title. Um, I must say, setup was very easy. Very very simple. So you, you slot your your storage, and I I got supplied with a couple of uh, three point five inch SATA drives, four terabyte each. Um, screw those into the enclosures, clip it in. It's just hot swap arrangement. Um, attach the NAS to your router, and then get the installation CD out and follow the instructions. And you can be done. Even if you read everything, you could be done in twenty minutes. If you if you just skip through and follow their uh, recommendations, you're done in ten minutes, and, and then you've got a, a network drive sat there, waiting for content to be put onto it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've I, got, I don't have a massive Blu-ray collection. I had something like sixty here. I've since bought another twenty to make my collection look a bit a bit more up to date. Uh, and I bought a Blu-ray uh, writer. 
um, from Amazon for 60 quid, Samsung Blu-ray writer. That came with a copy of Power DVD, which does everything I need it to do. Um, I just ripped the movie. Uh, you can do what you want. You can rip the whole ISO if you want, if you want to keep the chapters and menus and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not interested in that. I want to get straight to the content. It takes about, well, for your average movie, I'd say it would take half an hour maximum um, to rip it lost without any, uh, without any reduction in uh, quality. Um, you can rip it straight to the NAS. You don't, you, or if, or you can rip it to your computer and send it to your NAS very quickly. Um, transfer speeds are amazing on a gigabit network. You can do a 25 gig file in 25 seconds. Um, it's as quick as that. But you, you can just rip straight to the to the NAS. Um, I've used Kodi to organise the media. So you you just point Kodi in the direction of the NAS drive uh, in the file manager. Uh, tell it it's movies in there, and then it scans the uh, IMD, not, sorry, not IMDb, the movie database, TMDB, uh, and brings down all the fan art covers, uh, descriptions, all the extra info you get with that. Um, and then you you use whatever media player you've got, or your PC, or your... Um, I mean, you can use Plex if if the Plex is a good solution for you using, say, a console or or something that doesn't have code, uh, code available for it. Um, and it. And it just makes it, yeah, really... Pretty interfaces, instant playback, very fast to seek. You can run off off my network, which isn't it's okay. It's not. I've not spent tons of time getting my network up to speed, but I'd, I had six 1080p files running at the same time on various devices, on on um, TVs, players, and tablets, and it didn't it didn't break sweat. It, this thing, so it's it's a very very flexible item. I mean, this one is actually uh, sold as an all-in-one solution, so it's got an HDMI out uh, and a Toslink digital audio out, so you can use it straight into your TV. Um, right, okay, so, so you don't need a, a separate media player or, or a Not PC with this one, no, it's an all-in-one, so you can, if if you want, um, just plug it into your TV and, and, and run it direct from the drives installed. You can get it, there's a version of Kodi for it, there's a version of Plex for it, uh, available as an app. Um, so you can just install that, should you wish, and, and take it from there. Although, in this particular case, it wasn't such a great media player. Well, not for 4K files anyway, which is what I test a lot of, I guess. But for 1080p, 5.1, no problem at all. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I've, I've actually really quite enjoyed doing this review. And it, it's, it's converted me to being even more of a streaming convert, just being able to do it you know, at original quality instantaneously with very pretty interfaces is very appealing. Something that would uh, pique your interest, Steve? Um, I do like the convenience, but I, it's a bit. I, I like the ritual of putting on a disc. I like. I, I mean, it's a bit like um, playing a, a piece of vinyl, I suppose. No, it's not. Not in any it's way, not. shape, or form. Opening a little plastic tray <laughs> is not the same as putting a record on. Let, no. Let, let the did, did, when, you, when you said ritualistic, do you light candles and stuff and, and pray? Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> that room is lovely. Um, no, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, I totally understand. I. I, I appreciate the convenience and I do like the slick interfaces. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, you could rip your disc and then pop it away somewhere out of the way and you don't have to have loads of, uh, of discs on show and taking up bookcases when or wherever you kids, keep them. When you've got kids, that is a big plus. There, yeah. So I do, I mean, there is a, there is a lot of reasons to do it. Uh, I suppose, you know, it's just uh, investing the time in ripping them in the Well, you see, you see, that's the thing. I'm looking at my movie collection and I'm thinking 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 minutes a disc and I'm looking at that. That's uh, that's all my holidays for the year. Yeah, it's a commitment when you've got a massive disconnection. I, I'm only being slightly facetious here. Wait until uh, university holidays. Stick a little wanted ad in mm -hmm. Hall's residence. Won't cost you very much money to have someone. And I don't mean just a grunt doing it half-assed. Someone you you'd be able to find someone that knows what they're doing and do it properly for you, and they wouldn't cost the end of the an, an enormous amount. You offer it. So it exploits uh, the uh, students of the UK. Well, exploit is the wrong word, but if you're giving <laughs> them the option to do something which is fundamentally simple. Yeah, but Ed, I'd, I live like six miles from Durham University. You know, the money involved there, I'd have to pay them quite a bit. Uh, I don't know. You see how it is. There's always there's always someone there who's absolutely broke through their own piss poor decisions. Right, so. You know, for a complete novice, Mark, you're saying that this is fairly painless to set up and uh, a product like that, the review will be... Complete novice, you'd have to define that. You'd have to, Some computer <laughs> literacy would be um, favourable, should we say. It's nothing complicated, but if you don't know your way around Windows, you're going to struggle to set it up. Mark, have you tested what audio formats it's happy with? I didn't. So I just stuck to video, Ed. I, have, I don't have a, a collection Fine. of audio files. I, I, I couldn't know. 
<laughs> going back to this novice, you don't. So you can use it on a Mac as well, Steve. You don't. You don't oh, good. Be, you can set it up by an app. It's, it's really not. <laughs> you can use an Android app or an iOS yeah. app as well. So. You know, it, it sounds. It sounds really interesting. I know a lot of people on the forums have gone down that route, but I also know there's there's just as many people on the forums who it, it appeals to. I mean, you just have to look at systems like Clydescape and and so on, and how neat they look. And then when you look at something like like what you're looking at there, Mark with Cody and so on, you can set something up that looks just as good, has all oh, yeah. the information there and plays back. I guess on the audio side, um, it does play back the, the HD audio files, yeah? So you will get true HD and DTS master audio. You will, not through... You, yeah, this one goes up to 5.1 for HD audio. I cut it, it's all dependent on your media play. If you use it as a back end rather than the front end, it's all dependent on that player. But yeah, I can get 7.1 HD audio stream from it, no problem. Atmos as well. It'll, you can mm-hmm. do this. There are players. Yeah, well, that's this in, this in part of the Global True HD soundtrack, isn't it? So it should yeah. be quite easy. It's interesting that things that used to be hellishly expensive elements of custom install, like Kaleidoscape and um, Control 4 and uh, Crestron, all these other things, have been largely usurped by um, advances in technology, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. I've had word that there is a um, Chinese Kaleidoscope coming. <laughs> And I've forgotten who it was. <laughs> they told me <laughs> to shut up about it, so I will. I can't remember which manufacturer it was, but one of them has got a kaleidoscope-type device coming. One question that does occur to me, I mean, obviously, this this one that you're reviewing, they've supplied it with two four-terabyte drives. Is that to, is that being run in... Are they being run in parallel? Are they being run in RAID, or have you got eight terabytes? Through, through the setup, you can do either. Um, in the setup process, it asks you whether you want to maximize storage, yeah. i.e. RAID 0, or or if you want to mirror, mirror the content, RAID 1. So I, I went RAID 1. I got, I've got four gigs of sto- four terabytes of storage. is more than enough for me. Just uh, but you curious, can do it either way. RAID is not a backup. No. No. Everyone needs, this This needs to be written in stone. It's a, It keeps your content available. But if something corrupts on one drive, it will then just pass that corruption through to the other one. Don't I know it? <laughs> well, you, you can there speaks the voice of experience yeah stop like, stop using raid a long time and obviously for video editing you know keeping files available and all the rest of it stop using it a long time ago because it just kept failing and of course you just lose you know unless you've backed up reg- regularly and who does you know you back up now and again but you don't do it on a regular basis um and a lot of cases i'd lose files you know and uh, i've had to restart a few discs because of that so. I mean, I just about adhere to a once a month. Let's say I have three NAS drives. Um, there's a main Synology, a backup Western Digital, then a, a fairly ancient Buffalo, which is, if you like, a, a position of terminal recovery. That very rarely gets turned on. Um, and yeah, that none of them are RAID. They are three completely separate, completely isolated. Yeah, backup drives. Where do you back I'd... up to? The other RAID. The other, sorry, the other NAS. Yeah. Yeah. They, I just once a month, I just essentially, you know, mirror uncopied data across. I the divisions of your backup on backup on backup, resulting at the end of the, all these backups with a file file cabinet, <laughs> well, files in there and a notebook. Well, you know, it's I I've lost when when the laptop I'm I'm using now. When my son managed to essentially drop it enough times that the drive in that died, I lost just enough useful stuff to remind myself that I hadn't been quite as vigorous as I need rigorous as I needed to be in getting stuff backed up but don't if you've just got raid selected just for the love of god that isn't that, you know that isn't necessarily going to help you at all as Phil as Phil has testified so be careful you'd be better off you know if you want the simplest backup just buying the largest external drive you that's can what, that's so what I do Ed 110 115 quid and and just keep it powered off you know what you're only connecting to it to back up to otherwise then safely disconnect it disconnect it from the mains and keep it somewhere cool and dry that's exactly what i do ed i started doing that when i started using um mark's editing software because it saved it in a library within mark and it was just a case of copying that library over an external and that's what i've been doing and it keeps everything in order keeps it all safe and like you say power it down when you finish transferring across and just power it up when you need the next batch moving across and i've probably filled about three or four five terabyte four terabyte five terabyte discs now just just with the footage that we use mm-hmm. for the videos on av forums and that's you know it's not a hell of a lot of videos but it's a hell of a lot of storage and required yeah. 
and um for really critical stuff and i'm i don't know uh legend has it that some some member of this parish is uh, is getting married in the not too distant future but things like your Who's wedding photos which Sorry. are kind of important um stuff like that that's worth investing in a spot of cloud uh, storage for so it doesn't matter what the hell happens things of you know things of sentimental importance are retained elsewhere yeah that's quite, quite handy so when are you getting married mark i, I thought, know you, I thought you, you get married, married steve I missed Yes. <laughs> really? I missed, how the hell have I missed that? <laughs> Congratulations. When are you getting married? <laughs> Supposed to be next week. <laughs> uh, just next week then. Fine. No, it's not. Is that why you're off next week? You're getting married. Yeah, that's why I'm off next week. Oh, well done. Well, congratulations. It, as we were saying, the most desperate gambit to avoid the Bristol show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In his son <laughs> extreme links to get out of Bristol this year. Wow. But yeah, you, as I say, cloud storage, that pricing on that is becoming ever more competitive. So yeah, if you've got things that are truly, truly, truly important, stick a copy up in up into space. Uh, but when I say truly important, also stuff that doesn't necessarily matter if there was some sort of huge data compromise. You know, a photo of you wearing a nice suit rather than all of your bank details. Your birthday suit. <laughs> if you choose, choose to put those up, you know, uh, that's... Uh, as, as many celebrities will testify, you're doing so at your own risk. There is there is one blackmail file which exists on a couple of my hard drives. Did that not get lost when you lost all that data? No. Nope. Yeah, well backed nope. up. No, nope. that one's well backed up. Oh, God. As long as it's not, I don't think it's We've all got a copy, Steve, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it will get used one of these that days. That's to go method. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I felt sorry for the blow-up sheep. <laughs> I felt sorry for my mate who had to film it. <laughs> He's the real loser here. He's very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, it might be our wedding gift to him, I think, maybe. <laughs> Get framed. Upscale to 4K. <laughs> <laughs> but there, in, within that rambling com conversation, is some good advice on there, Strides. Someone somewhere <laughs> and mark made a very very valid point earlier in the um very early on in this if you aren't feeling very confident about getting into network storage buy a self-contained nas drive to start with and then if you're comfortable with that you can then you know turn that into your backup and move into bay nas drives they've got a lot easier to set up than they ever were but um if you're in doubt buy something off the shelf and and deal yeah. with it that way around but there's a lot to be said for Bain Astros. It gives you a lot more custom customization, a lot more options. Okay, so that's Mark's review of uh, of the NAS drive. It will be up this week. Uh, what was the manufacturer again on that? Azus Store. We were presumably part of Azus. Okay, there you go. So that review will be up uh, later this week when this podcast goes out. Um, and coming next is movie reviews. So, moving on to movie reviews, um, what's at the cinema, Steve? Well, uh, this weekend, just past, we had three films opening. Zoolander 2, which actually had previewed the previous weekend, which is why we talked about it on the last podcast, so I won't mention that again. We also had Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is obviously a mashup of um, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen and uh, Zombies. And to uh, quote Sharuna's review, too much Pride and Prejudice and not enough zombies for her money. Fair enough. Uh, and the other film that opened up this weekend, and uh, the one that I did go and see, it actually opened on Wednesday, in fact, is Deadpool which um absolutely loved fantastic and interestingly has shattered all records for an r-rated film in the states it had a massive opening weekend there the biggest february weekend ever um for any film and in fact the biggest opening weekend for any film for 20th century fox it, it actually had a bigger opening weekend than star wars episode three revenge of the sith um it's been a gigantic success which just goes to show there is a market out there for more adult entertainment and you haven't got to make things just for, uh, you know, 12-year-old boys or whatever to try and hit the largest demographic possible. You can have a success with something a bit more adult. Although, granted, Deadpool was on a budget for about 50 million, so it was a relatively low-budget film. For that in it's already to coined tentpole. it. Then. Yeah, it's, all, it's already broken even then. They already had, uh, they already greenlit a sequel before the film had even <laughs> opened, so obviously they were very happy with the results. But it is a really good film. It's very, very funny. It's very meta, you know. It's, I mean, the character in the comics, the character of Deadpool, is a character who knows he's in a comic and constantly comments on that. So he, he's 
breaking the fourth wall, if you like, within the context of a comic. And that's exactly what they do in the context of the film. So Ryan Reynolds, who is absolutely perfect as Deadpool, is constantly talking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall and making jokes. Jokes about Ryan Reynolds. Jokes about the previous appearance of Deadpool, which was a disaster in um, X-Men Origins, X-Men Wolverine Origins. He, you know, he, he throws in loads of uh, pop references and, and jokes about all kinds of stuff. There's a bit where he's being dragged along by Colossus as one of the X-Men to meet. He's like, I'm taking you to see uh, uh, Professor Xavier. And he goes, which one, McAvoy or Stewart? Because obviously two actors have played the same part. It's just full of really, I mean, there's so many jokes in it. That I think I have to watch it a second time. I want to catch all the jokes again. But uh, it's funny. It's well cast. It's great. You know, there's lots of really good action in it. Um, really, really violent, uh, which is always fun tons of swearing lots of sex i mean it's it's just it's a great fun movie uh laura loved it she, she really enjoyed it i mean i think anyone you know it's it's obviously it's a 15 certificate in this country uh, and our and in the states but um I, whether you're male or female you know it, it, I mean, it was actually launched over the weekend you know with um uh, valentine's day in mind and you really could go and see this as a date. I think it's a, it's a good date movie it's it's fun it, um you know, there's a romance in there um some really good characters and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I think Kaz gave it eight out of ten. That's about right. Eight, maybe even nine. I'd say it was, it was probably the most enjoyable comic book movie I've seen in a long time. Films opening this Friday, triple nine. Now, this this terminology is not going to work in this country because triple nine, obviously, in this country is nine nine nine, which is the emergency services. In the states, triple nine. If it's a triple nine call over the radio, it means emergency services personnel have been killed or wounded. Yeah, yes. I did wonder when I first saw the title, was it set in this country? And then I realized, oh, it's set in America. I saw the trailer for this before. I didn't know anything about this film at all until I saw the trailer before Deadpool. I thought it looked really good. Had a great cast, Woody Harrelson, Kate Winslet, um, Aaron Paul. Yeah, I think I think the trailer kind of gives it away because obviously it's, it's a diversionary tactic. Um, yeah. And that's for what they, that's what they should, Yeah, for a robbery and... Um, it, it looks interesting, like you say, there's an interesting cast there, and um, it looks quite violent as well, which um, looks quite Yeah, made by John Hillcote, who directed Lawless, which I quite enjoyed. So um, I think I'll probably go and see this actually this weekend, uh, if I get time. I think that might be my film of the week. Uh, the other film opening this week is The Finest Hours, which is a, a 3D movie about a true story about a rescue, a, um, a ship rescue a lifeboat rescuing some crew off of a, a, a tanker, I think, that actually literally splits in half. Um, and it's shot in 3D. And uh, I read a review, uh, a review of it at the weekend. Actually, funny enough, where they said it, you know, it, it kind of plays like a. It's, it's set in the 50s, and it plays like a 50s film. So it's it's very um, that kind of rose-tinted view of the 50s, and it perhaps could have done with being a bit more realistic. Um, but I guess if you like 3D, it might be fun. So moving on to uh, Blue Race, which is my favourite subject these days. Um, uh, Crimson Peak, uh, DTSX. No. Is it DTSX in this country? Uh, yes, I believe so. I believe this is the first DTSX uh, release, official release in this country. Okay. Um, although I haven't got a disc yet. It doesn't come out. Uh, well, it comes out today, actually. It comes out today. But uh, I haven't seen the disc physically to check that. So if someone wants to let me know, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, right, so that's the first DTSX Blu-ray coming to the UK. Then we've got the programme and Hotel Transylvania. Uh, Hotel Transylvania 2 uh, reviews up on the homepage. It'll still be there by the time the podcast comes out. The programme... Yeah, the programme is, is, is the true story of the Irish journalist who, for years, was convinced that Lance Armstrong was cheating and eventually was proved right. Um, okay. And I've seen the trailer for it. Ben Foster, who plays Lance Armstrong, absolutely, uh, really unnervingly, looks just like, you know, really intense performance, looks like him, really nails that. Because um, Lance Armstrong never looked like a nice person, if you want my opinion. He had that kind of really cold, dead eye look to him and he really <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> you no, he that big steroids <laughs> inside you. <but> yeah. <laughs> But he absolutely nails it, Ben Foster's performance. Really scary. Um, and Chris O'Dowell plays the Irish journalist uh, who investigates him. Okay. And I guess the big uh, release next week, next Monday, is um, is a little um, spy movie. Mm, yes, a little spy movie, um, which um, did okay. I think it made about $800 million worldwide, so not too bad, not too shabby. Uh, Spectre, which, if you haven't seen it, uh, sorry, if you've seen Spectre, Go and watch the honest trailer on Screen Junkies because they absolutely nail the film. Um, they really do. Um, it's got, I quite enjoyed it, but it's got some issues, and particularly tonal issues because it tries to marry a more campy approach of Roger Moore with the, the more harder-edged tone of the Daniel Craig movies. I'm not sure that marriage always works. Uh, has anyone but me seen it? No, no, book? I haven't seen I it haven't yet. Seen I'm seen I'll go and watch it on Blu-ray, and I'm sure it'll become one of my, my demo review discs that I, I keep yeah, on I'm sure it'll look great on Blu-ray. 
Yeah, because I, mean, I use uh, I use Skyfall quite a bit for uh, for demo material. A beautifully shot film. Second half, not so much. I don't like the color palette. Of the second half, they went too much for a misty Scotland um, look and, and too muted on. Disguise the fact they weren't in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, they were they were for a couple of shots. You know, Glen Evitt and uh, Glen Co. But then the, the rest of it was shot in Ireland. Um, but. The, the the first half of that film is beautifully shot. I mean, the Shanghai fight we're against the the neon lights and they're in shadow. Stunning cinematography, really really nice, nicely shot. So I use I use that quite a bit. So I guess it moves on to something that we were talking about a few weeks ago and and having a quick uh, a laugh at as well. Um, our favourite review discs. I think we've gone through this quite a bit. We we tend to use the same. Um, clips and stuff over and over again I, I think it's really important that you have reference material that you're familiar with some of us are lucky enough to have sat down with a colourist for certain films and gone through certain scenes with them and they've pointed things out for us to look for and, and that so examples of that well one one real example of that was um, Mike Sower recently when I uh, visited Technicolor and um, Panasonic Hollywood Labs and he actually sat down and went through a few scenes and what the scene should look like how much shadow detail should be on show what colours he was looking for you know it has a cyan tint to some scenes and uh scene with morgan freeman you should only be able only be able to see certain things so that's really useful but again you, you get used to seeing things on reference monitors and then having your reference point to what that should look like when it comes to certainly video and then we have our audio clips as well and um, stuff that we're used to heard so many times good example the t-rex bursting out of the paddock in in jurassic park i mean my first ever listen to that was through a rail storm on Laserdisc, uh, just in Prologic, and then obviously the DTS disc came out, which uh, on Laserdisc, which became a favourite. And then I think all the way through DVD and Blu-ray, I've, I've, I've still used that clip. Another one's King Kong for me, Peter Jackson's King Kong, uh, Chapter Forty-Eight. The, well, the meet in the street first of all. So um, the character Anne, played by I forget her name now. Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. I knew you would know it. Yeah, so meet up, Naomi Watts meets up with a CGI ape and uh, lots of detail I'm there. I'm glad you clarified that, Phil. Not a real ape. <laughs> <laughs> so there should be lots of detail in the far in the hair in that scene and then her face should be should be yellow. Um, there should be a yellow cast. To, it's an old 40s look um, to camera, you know, playing playing off her blonde hair and, and, and her skin tone and it's, there should be a yellow cast and then it moves down to the street where there's lots of shadow detail but you should be able to pick out the bricks on the wall of the houses and the cars parked in the street, you should be able to pick out details there and then the walk into Central Park and there's lights hanging and they're all primary colours so you should be able to see what the primary colours look like from these lights that are hanging from the trees and then obviously there's the snow, it shouldn't be too blue in fact, it should have a, a bit of a cyan look to it, actually. And then all hell breaks loose after they dance on the ice and so on. So it, it's a really good scene to use to get colour tone, to look at your shadow details, and then for motion when things start to kick off. And there's, and, there's and audio, too, isn't there? Because you've got the the, the deep, yeah. his breath. That yeah. really, there's a, a deep breath of the of the ape with a bit of bass underneath it. Yeah, and obviously yeah. it's quite quiet, gentle, and yeah. suddenly down it range when there's explosions yeah. and, and stuff going on. You've got Howard's... Um, theme as well central park theme mm. behind it as well which is a fantastic score um so yeah that, that's one of my favorite clips that i use a lot at dawn of the planet of the apes again so caesar right at the start when they're in the trees and the thunderstorm and everything surrounding you again audio wise but also visually uh, there's moss on the trees there's green on the on the trunks and stuff i've seen some dlp projectors where that's luminous green because <laughs> green's really difficult on a dlp to get right so I use that quite a bit when I'm testing DLP projectors to see how natural the colour looks. Um, so, I mean, those are some of my favourite discs. Sunshine, the beginning of Sunshine, as the, the craft moves towards the sun and, and as it blocks the sun out, you get um, a lot of shadow detail of the antennas and all that kind of thing of the spaceship. You should be able to pick all that out. It should be a really nice black to it as well. A, a nice fluid looking deep black, but you should be able to pick out lots of shadow details in there. So those are some of my favourites, Steve. I used to like using the opening of Terminator 2, um, where you've got the voiceover of um, Sarah Connor, and then um, it's, it slowly builds, and then you've got that bit where the foot crushes the skull, and it's a nice big thud, and then obviously lots of explosions and things zooming around. That, that was quite a favourite of mine. And I also used to use the opening credits of Batman Forever, because back then, this was a few years ago now, but the the credits would zoom out of the screen effectively and then to the rear speaker. So you had some quite nice directional effects on those opening credits and some nice blacks and, and sort of lots of different 
layers of black and lots of gradation in it, which I used to quite like using. Um, well, I, I do use regularly, a lot of ones I use now have been ones that you put me onto, Feel Like Sunshine and King Kong. Um, for 3D, I, I love using the scene in, in Avatar where the uh, seeds of the sacred tree are floating in the air. Yeah, Lots of negative parallax in that, in that one. So that's a really good test for uh, for uh, displays um, 3D capabilities. And uh, for the same reasons, the Marvin the Martian scene from Gravity where he floats out of the um, shattered space shuttle in, 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 into negative parallax. And that's actually quite a good test as well. Uh, Gravity is one of my favorite discs for, for generally testing uh, displays contrast performance because you've got the blacks of space, but obviously you want the stars in there too plus you've got the white um reflections of the white spacesuits um you know that can be a real talk once she's tumbling in space it can be a real torture test for any local dimming system um so that's quite a good one to use atmos wise uh mad max fury road is, is just a, a sonic assault for an hour and a half well two hours basically i've recently recently quite i recently I, you watched it recently didn't you everest but i thought the picture some of the images of, of the mountains particularly were gorgeously detailed looks CGI fantastic. stuff yeah quite impressive how they put all that together we we got because obviously there's no way that they're going to fly a drone or a helicopter at those heights because it's impossible the air is just far too thin yeah but you, but they got, with that helicopter sequence when they're trying to rescue that yeah, guy <laughs> but the the way that the camera sweeps over the mountain and and, oh, yeah. and you get you get the sense of well it's what's called basically an establishing shot because that's what it does is it establishes where you are on the mountain and how high it is and what's surrounding you and all the rest of it. and the thing that really impressed me was the top of the the mountain and it's it, we're not giving you any spoilers that, that people actually made it to the top um but the shots that are at the top um obviously they didn't film it there but when you look at that and you look at photographs that they used for as the reference point um because it's all done in the computer on blue screen and you know, it's so realistically done that you would think that they were actually there filming with the other mountains in the background and so on, because they're, you know, where they should be and so on. Really, really well put yeah, together. Yeah, I've got to say, uh, it, regardless, you know, I, mean, I still agree with Ed's wife on, the, you know, it's a fairly bleak film, but it's a very well-made film. And, and you know, it, it, I think there's the stuff where they actually do shoot on mountains um, and the stuff that's shot on green screen, but it, it looks incredibly realistic. Yeah, none, really none, cold, none really real. Yeah, none of that CG, none of the no, CG breath no, being added in and that kind of thing. Fantastic actually, job yeah, on that yeah, film, yeah. I thought. Um, um, but what made me realise was that when I saw it at the cinema, bloody projector was out of focus because uh, I didn't get any of that impact until I saw it at home. And, and then I thought, bloody hell, that looks good. And that was not the impression I got at the cinema, which just goes to show sometimes if they get something wrong at the cinema, it can ruin your, your experience of a film completely. Yeah, yeah. some of the skin pores and, and close-ups, uh, some of the injuries and stuff, uh, yeah, really impressive. Uh, yeah. So, and, that, and there's some quite good, um, when the storm hits particularly, there's a lot of surround effects and uh, some overhead action, and, and it's very enveloping, so that's quite good. Uh, when, um, when I, I watched, um, you, you know, you, you you were going on and on about the soundtrack, and I said that ah, was all right. But actually, really realistic. If you know anything about musical instruments, and, and you're used to hearing uh, instruments in a certain environment or whatever, like drums, or violins, or trumpets, or so on, a whiplash from yeah, t- from the, from the terms of getting the instruments to sound correct in the environment, and 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 just the 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 actual level of what it would actually sound like if you were sat next to someone playing like that, um, or even just getting the hit of a drum. It's, it, that can be a really difficult thing to sound right, especially in days of compressed audio and that, all that kind of thing. Obviously, you're listening on a Blu-ray disc with, uh, with DTS. It sounds phenomenal, really well recorded, really well put together. Yeah, Whiplash has become... Uh, something I, I mean, as as you know, I don't do video testing, so pictures pictures of far far less in terms of test material, it's it's, it's less important for me. So, um, Whiplash has become uh, something I routinely use alongside. I still use Unstoppable a great deal because it's a very very unusual soundtrack in so much as it's consistently running at three different layers, um, which can be quite hard for speakers to pick apart, um, and it's also got a lot of as well as there being explosions and like there's plenty of good real world relatable sounds to it which you know again it, it's a very very useful judge for just seeing what a pet what seeing what loudspeakers are actually up to at any one time yeah there used to be a couple of musical numbers that i used to use quite a bit when testing audio back in the day i haven't used them um very recently because i don't have one of them on disc it used to be on laserdisc which was beauty in the beast 
and it was the opening musical number. I can hear it in my head now, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but that was a really well put together musical number where instruments, a lot of stereo effect, a lot of panning and stuff that would go on during the number. But it was her voice, it was a female voice, which is always a test for speakers. When you're testing speakers out, especially um, uh, towards reference level you, you're listening for sibilance and, and and being able to get the the voice across without adding anything in there um that's going to distort um the other one was the, the elephant medley from um moulin rouge used to use that quite a bit because it's quite a complex recording um it sounds rubbish on the cd but on <laughs> it does it, it just doesn't sound right at all on the cd recording but um on the on the blu-ray and certainly on the dvd mix um it's really quite a complex arrangement that's going on there but it comes across really well so um, I used to use that quite a bit Romeo and Juliet again mm-hmm. another Baz Luhrmann but there was the uh, the cover of the Prince song sung by the choir and then the bass line comes in on that <laughs> uh, the serious test of subwoofer but also get a, a, a subwoofer integration into the system so you shouldn't just hear the subwoofer you know what I mean it should be um, a really full on bass line that comes in there when doves cry it's the cover of that sung by the choir and then when the bass comes in it's phenomenal in fact i'm going to have a listen to these now i haven't heard them in quite a while um i've obviously subconsciously stolen all yours steve because i used pretty much the same ones uh, I, I didn't realize i must have just read your reviews and bought those discs and thought that was a good idea uh, but i also use um quite extensively the discs uh, thx isf and um, Spears and Monsell, various clips on those that we've se- I've seen on reference monitors c- calibrated to reference levels. Um, there's just certain things about the skin tones and um, there's, there's a couple of really good ones on there. There's the opening montage on this first Spears and Monsell disc is brilliant. Yeah, watch that thousands. Watch that <laughs> if you've ever if you've ever altered a ten point white balance controls, that's the one to go for because it will show up any problems uh, with banding immediately. So I always do always use that. I've got a real frame of reference on that. I, I've used Whiplash now. I use Gravity a lot uh, for the same reasons you do, Steve. Um, I've also uh, the Lego Movie. I think it looks phenomenal. Uh, it's difficult to have a frame of reference, but it just looks really good. So it's always nice to watch that one. Um, yeah, I think I think we share a lot of the same clips, and I, I, I kind of rely on the reference discs rather than movie clips as much because I have a better frame of reference on those. Back when um, we were using DVD rather than Blu-ray, I've never tried it on Blu-ray, so I don't know. As a torture test um, for loudspeakers, the uh, first car park race in Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift is just such a mess with the soundtrack is too loud, some of the effects are far too loud, dialogue has clearly been ranked about 11th or 12th on the list of priorities on the (laughs) screen. It's It's an absolute train wreck of a piece of editing and it used to be a very interesting test of receivers and amplifiers if they could make sense of that and make it cohesive intelligible and and not awful they were doing really really well and one thing uh, i'm drawing out of this is that the, the quite a few of these clips quite a few of these films um we've had on quite a few formats steve um i'm i'm oh, yes. hi- highlighting <laughs> us because we tend to be the ones that have put seem to have triple or quadruple dipped on some of these so uh, like I say I mean Jurassic Park had two laser disc versions of that um, I'm sure I had it on DVD yeah definitely had it on DVD and on Blu-ray as well um, so that is one that I bought numerous times um, there's some that I bought numerous times and never watched <laughs> that, that's that's a, that's quite an achievement um, I'm quite pleased to say at the moment actually I have uh, I have nothing pending in either vinyl or Blu-ray uh, there's two downloads that were sent to me by a website that I've yet to have a listen to. So otherwise, I think I'm doing pretty well there. I've got very little in my uh, not bothered with category. I've already mentioned the disc or the film rather that I've owned on the most formats, which is Terminator 2, which I've owned on, let me think, VHS and then Laserdisc, the box set, which was lovely. Um, also had it on um, DVHS, uh, had it on DVD twice. I've had it on Blu-ray, I think, uh, I maybe on my, no, actually I had it on DVD one, two, three, three, three or four times and then a couple of times on Blu-ray. Um, so I've had that one quite a lot I'd, over I'd, the years. I've had that one quite a lot as well. Maybe not as much as you. I didn't have it on <laughs> digital VHS or VHS, but the rest of them, yes. And about two or three times as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have owned, this is, I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I bought on Laserdisc the 
um, Lawrence Kasdan, um, Kevin Costner movie, Wyatt Earp. Never watched it. Then I bought it on uh, DVD. <laughs> Never watched that either. <laughs> then I bought it on HD DVD. Finally got around to think, oh, I think I'll watch that now. Started watching it and at the layer change, it buggered up and I couldn't watch the second half of the film. So I then had to go and buy the Blu-ray <laughs> to find out what happened in the end. Could you not have gone back to your DVD and watched it? Or is that just, just an unreasonable yeah, that's request? That's long gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've got to watch pile. And recently I went through that and I binned quite a few of them. Not actually binned them, I actually just thought, right, I'm not going to get around to watching that for a while and put it on the... So there's quite a few on the shelf that are still in cellophane that have never been opened. Stuff like Source Code, I've never watched that. The, there's other things like the bank job. and There's stuff that I picked up for two or three quid when I've seen them in sales or, or bargain bins and stuff and never gotten around to watching them. I've got a couple of copies of Leon, so <laughs> there's like the director's <laughs> cut and the original cut. I've never gotten around to watching them yet. I mean, I've seen the film umpteen times, but never got around to watching those discs. i try to think what else there is. Uh, Dances with Wolves, I've got about two different versions sitting there because you can never get the subtitles right on them for a scope I've got, screen. Uh, I've got the Blu-ray release of that, which I bought with you in Fry's uh, in January 2011. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads of CDs I've never listened to because I'm one of these people that keeps buying. If I like a particular band or artist, I will buy everything they've ever done, but often don't actually get around to listening to most of yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, it's like three songs I actually like. She just bought the greatest hits album, really. Yeah, before Tidal, I was like that. There would be certain groups where I'd buy the CDs and, and sometimes never get around to listening. I've got to say, now that I've got Tidal, I don't buy stuff because I use the offline quite a bit now. So um, I'll actually offline quite quite a few things that I want, playlists or albums, onto my phone and then I just Bluetooth it in the car. Um, yeah, and it sounds fantastic. Amazing. It sounds really good through the B&O system in the car. So I've I've actually stopped buying music altogether now. Whereas I I haven't I've still got some issues there. As I say, I own a, cu- a couple too many copies of uh, Peter Gabriel's third album. One of my favourite CDs that I still use now to test audio in, and it was not particularly good in terms of the the songs. I don't think the songs are, are very strong, and that's Annie Lennox's Diva. So it's a good mu- album. So we must be going back to what early nineties on that one. It's, yeah, ninety two. Such a well recorded album. I mean, totally full range um, really well recorded and get that on a good good system it's stunning how much detail you can pull out of it still use that now for testing um, various systems so Ed if it's just music for you what are your, your top four go to uh, well the format plays a role in this um, because uh, it's a combination of what I want to listen to but then also uh, strong strength in a particular category Um if we're talking vinyl, uh, I will make a beeline for the minimum maximum live box set by Craftwork. It's just an extraordinary pressing um, and it's got monstrous dynamic range. It's just a, a really top quality balls out pressing. So it'll show you pretty much what any part of the chain is doing. Um, digital, I mean, I do own it on vinyl, but the, as a pressing, it's it's all right. Nothing more nothing less really uh i make a continuous beeline for a track called burnout by the cinematic orchestra on the everyday album it's on spotify it's on title you can have a listen um i must have listened to that without exaggeration a couple of thousand times we used to use it um back when i was still working for more short cambridge audio it featured in pretty much every single piece of um test material that we ever used uh right at the start it's got a struck bass and you just get this resonance off the soundboard after they've struck it um which is it's just such an such a striking sound and you just become totally familiar with how you feel that should sound in a in a reference setting and you can just apply it to to so many other things and i think whether we consciously work that out or not for anyone that does any sort of listening on a sort of semi-serious level, there will be a track. And ironically for so many people, it's not always tracks that they like very much that um, 
they can just emit, you know, it takes 30 seconds of it and you've got a, a, an almost total handle on what that system is, is doing. Um, my wife, for her sins, uh, is a Nora Jones track, Feeling the Same Way, which she must have listened to God knows how many times because of um, it was, she, she had to get a, a number of pupils ready. It was an exam piece some years ago. And you, if, she, if, if I want her opinion on a piece of equipment which is in, I just need to play that and she'll tell me pretty much straight off what what situation is as far as she's concerned so um yeah that that's the case and then i mean obviously the thorny issue of of high res that actually you know makes makes a difference i you know i the first to admit that high re the difference between high resolution and cd is more often than not that the high resolution has been recorded with some degree of sort of skill to it but the um uh the remastering and redoing of uh, Floyd's division bell, the keep talking it, on the CD. It always just sounded a little bit strained, not quite together. The 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 rehab the, when they redid it, they they sorted out all the issues, and that's a a fairly impressive piece piece of uh, material for sort of high res testing as well. There's still one event that sticks vividly in my mind, and Steve was with me when this happened, and it was uh, Galaxy Studios we went to visit. Um, so Wilfred uh, Van Balen, who invented Aura 3D, we'd, we'd gone along to hear this, but there was a couple of events going on in the studio while we were there during the day, so you know he'd given up a lot of his time to show us around the studio and show us different things, because it was a press launch on the same day, but they were also recording the soundtrack to an opera, uh, that a guy had written. It was either an opera or a play. I think it was a play about World War One, if I remember yeah, right, Steve. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you had a full orchestra there in in the studio, and the studio is about the size of Studio One at Abbey Road. So kind of kind of the same uh, type of type of room, with the same type of reflections and so on, and full orchestra. And, and what we did was they were going to do four or five takes of this this one bit of the score. So they were going to do it four or five times. For the f first two times, we stood in the studio with the orchestra and listened to to them going through this this one bit of one bit of music. And it wasn't very long; it was about thirty seconds, forty second um, blast. So we listened to that twice, and then going into the control room right next door, and it was a full Genelec system, studio system in there, and obviously they're recording live into the into the desk, and and you could hear back what was being played in the other room. And you know we're talking about some of the the, the, the most natural uh, speakers possible being amplified properly through a mixing desk that it was being recorded to, and it sounded nothing like it did in the big room. Mm. There was just no way that you could pick up the sheer dynamics and the way that the the air was moving in that room. You just didn't get that coming through the speaker system. I've only ever heard one pair of loudspeakers do an orchestra correctly, and regrettably, they were a quarter of a million pounds. And and you can <laughs> and you can understand why because it's actually capturing that and and mm. being able to play that back. And there's just no way you can move that amount of air that the orchestra was moving in that room. And and I, I'm completely accurate with this. I'm a Steve. I mean, you were there. You stood next to me, and and it just didn't sound anything like it sounded in the room in the control no. room. I mean, it makes you appreciate, you know, because we obviously listen to a lot of recorded music um, through various systems. When you're actually standing in front of a full orchestra, you understand what that really sounds like. And I don't think, you know, it would be almost impossible to... It's amazing that they can capture as much of that as they can, um, you know, using various technologies. Yeah. But um, yeah. but the actual experience of being there live with a real orchestra was... was, was, was it shivers down your spine, didn't it? And yeah. tingles and... And, and of course it's stuff that they can't capture which is the air moving in the room it's it's the way that the orchestra is interacting with the room, they only pick up certain bits of that in the recording and you know you can try all you like with DSP and, and those type of effects that various manufacturers use on their products to try and capture that and so you, know, you can't do it, you just can't do it and, that, and that's when you appreciate how difficult it is and how good speakers are, certain brands of speakers are when you listen back to them and when you test them because when you've got that reference point of what it actually should sound like compared to what the reproduction is trying to be, I mean, you can understand why people send spend silly amounts of money on stuff. And and I think it's a, a bit of a fallacy, really, because when an orchestra is concerned, I don't think you can capture that performance. As I say, I've heard one thing come quite close, but, yeah, that's it. I mean, equally, if you want something just as a tonal test, uh, which uses some of the same rules, but on a much smaller scale... The American singer, uh, Regina Spector, nothing to do with Phil. Um, there is a song 
that she does called Consequence of Sounds. And it's her and a piano. And that's it. And even, and the piano isn't doing anything particularly dynamic, but it's just a tonal test. There's nowhere for a, a piece of equipment to hide. It just has to get these two, it either gets these two things right or it sounds like a bag of spanners. So that's always, it's a very interesting one, not least because it's not de- desperately volume dependent. It's either going to sound right or it's not. It's uh, it's always quite an interesting one to use. And yeah. again, that's on Spotify and Tidal if you want to have a play. Anyway, I think we've outstayed our welcome again for another week. Um, so those are, I mean, those are just a handful of the stuff that I listen to. I mean, if I was to sit here and go through everything, I think it'd be three hours long. Um, there's so many clips and, and bits of music that we all go to, but I, I believe that those are our favourites and maybe it gives you some ideas to go and test on your equipment or maybe you've got some ideas of what we should be using as test clips and stuff that you look at and uh, stuff that you're really familiar with. What is it that you use if you buy a new bit of kit? Um, whether that be video or audio or or even both tell us what you think in the feedback forum under this forum in the podcast and uh, all you need to do now is thanks steve withers flattery will get you nowhere but don't stop trying mark hodgkinson tell me tell me does the toppling of american missiles really compensate for having no hands and ed selly careful the whole place is probably wired for sound don't forget you can follow us on twitter and facebook you can bookmark av forums for latest reviews news and video and of course you can leave us a rating on itunes as long as it's five stars and uh, we'll read your name out in the next podcast because it's the end of the month the next podcast isn't it um so yes uh, 22nd is the last podcast of the month because uh, the following week we are not around we're not here we're taking our um our midterm break because we're off to the panasonic convention at the end of the month so um so yeah get your five star ratings in we'll read them out and until then uh, thank you very much for listening i'm phil hinton and we'll see you again next wednesday